Fanalytics with Mike Lewis. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. As usual, not always, but as usual, uh, my name is Mike Lewis and I'm joined by Doug Battle. How are you, Doug? Well, Mike, is your name not usually, is it not always Mike Lewis? Well, you know, sometimes it's not. It's Mike Lewis and my name is, you know. <laughs> you have a, an alternate name you go by. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I don't know if I'm doing as well as Tennessee fans right now. They're riding high, coming in at number one in the college football playoff ranking. And I got to say, I think they got it right. And I think they know it. Tennessee fans, uh, if you're watching and you're not seeing the video, um, I apologize. But... The, the one fan that really summed it up this week for me was the dancing security guard. Mike, did you see that? How could you not see it, Doug? I mean, every social media platform is going to tell you to watch that. <laughs> Doug, I don't even know who – I don't know what's happening. Tennessee is – they're number one in the – like they're not number one in the, what, the AP poll or whatever it is that people pay attention to. Really. I assume they're number – what are they, number two, number They're three? They're number three in that one, yeah. Okay, but Tennessee has won the first half of the college football season. Without no doubt. question. No doubt. And they have set a standard for fandom. I don't know who's number two in terms of fandom. You tell me, Doug. App State. <laughs> we kind of forgot about them. They had a nice run there. They had a little Lynn Sanity moment. Paint a picture for the people on the... A security guard, fake security guard, real security guard. Yeah, so uh, I think he's a real. I think I read that he's an actual security guard <laughs> at, at Nayland. Um, first off, Tennessee doesn't write for their home games. Yeah, if you've been on social media this year, you've seen a million videos of the fireworks, the T formation, how they come out. Uh, and so during the game, I guess I don't even know. I guess they played Kentucky this last week, and they had uh, they had which some people had them. I know people that thought. They might look ahead to Georgia and, and get caught off guard by Kentucky. So Kentucky was Kentucky's, 19, right? I mean, they yeah, were not a, not a bad not a bad football team. They got a quarterback that's hyped up for the NFL. Um, but at some point during the game, and this wasn't televised to the best of my knowledge, something that happened in the stadium, part of the game day experience, you know, gets people in the seats, is uh, they had a security guard standing in the way of some of the dancers on the cheer squad. And someone tried to remove him and he kind of resisted and then like on cue on the beat just went right into a dance with the team and he was phenomenal i don't know if phenomenal is the correct word mike do you have a better word perfect yeah tennessee yeah. fandom is perfect you know he was he was just the right amount of awkward while knowing the routine perfect you know beautifully he knew it well i would say he was fabulous i think that's the <laughs> word that i was looking for <laughs> <laughs> he really, really nailed I mean, it. The, the the way they played it off with the sort of the, the dancers almost being upset at him, but mm -hmm. obviously kind of fake too. Yeah, Just, the show must go on, and they, when the music came on, everybody did their job, <laughs> except the security officer. He did someone else's job, and he did it very well. Yeah, you, you almost wonder. It's like it's almost like they need to they they almost need to cue that for that kind of stuff for the tv cameras i mean in some ways that makes it even better right when it's oh. if that's not televised then it's like they're just doing their own thing right they're they're not putting on a show for the rest of you they're putting on a show for themselves yeah and the the tv crews they're missing out on stuff there's i mean i you know i'm a georgia guy you're listening you know i'm a georgia guy um Sanford Stadium has a tradition of lighting up the whole stadium for night games and everyone. It's really beautiful to see. And every time I've been to those games, it's the best part of the experience. And everyone talks about it that went. And then you go home, you rewatch the game on television, and there's not even a, they don't even show a second of it. And you're like, man, they're missing. <laughs> Someone needs to alert these television crews on, on the game day experience and capturing that. Um, and again, I guess the universities probably prefer it that way because they're getting their TV money, but they're also packing out stadiums. There's just people that want to be a yeah. part of that and want to experience the things you don't experience watching on TV. Well, and and that's you know that's a good way to put it because you you, you think about what fandom is really about and how you mm -hmm. construct it and the the benefits. Like I I know folks that have said told me that they don't like going to Tennessee. Like they can't stand to go. They they will acknowledge the specialness of Tennessee fans, 
but do not like to go there, especially if their team's not very good, because they're going to hear that song over <laughs> a lot and over again. And also complaints about how narrow the seats are, that it's a big stadium, but it's really packed in there tight. I don't know that they accounted for um, <laughs> population <laughs> growth. Population growth in, on an individual <laughs> level in the South. And particularly in a state like Tennessee, some of the schools they play. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they they see the 100,000 regular-sized people, I think. That's kind of their estimate. But uh, I'll tell you what, you know, Coach Heupel, I don't know if you could fit 100,000 Coach Heupels in the crowd. (laughs) It's a big guy. You definitely certainly couldn't fit 100,000 Tennessee football players, you know, former players out there. It's... uh, Okay, so I don't know. Uh, I love going to games in Nalen, but my team's won every time I've been. So I haven't been on the the miserable side of that. Yeah, well, you know, Tennessee's back and those things may be evening out over the next couple of years. And yep. Your Rocky Top play, you know, seven times, right? Well, that's uh, the thing. I because people would always tell me, Oh, it's miserable, you're gonna hate it. You're all you're gonna hear is Rocky Top. And the game, I think the first game I went to, Georgia beat them like forty nine to nothing. And so they played Rocky Top once before the game and once before the opening kickoff of the second half. And that was it. We heard it twice the whole game. Um, and I was like, this isn't so bad. But now that they're scoring like every possession, I see how that would get old. I see. Okay, Doug. So speaking of Georgia, Tennessee. Yeah. Look, biggest game of the season was Alabama, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But you know what, Doug? We've forgotten about that. And the biggest game of the season coming out, uh, you know, right a few days after the college football playoff. Uh, essentially, that committee, that committee gave the Georgia, your Georgia Bulldogs some bulletin board material, didn't they? You're not number yeah, one. Number I don't three. think. <laughs> I don't think Georgia fans are necessarily upset about that. Um, Georgia's been number one in the AP poll pretty much all year, and. I think everyone's kind of it's good to be the hunter, not the hunted. And in the words of Kirby Smart. Um, So I think that it's great because you got it's one V one. You got number one in the AP poll going up against number one in the college football playoff rate rankings. Oh, it's Um, like a about it's beautiful. Yeah. And and, you know, Tennessee, Alabama was the biggest game of the season so far. But if you look at that game, Alabama wasn't number one. Tennessee wasn't anywhere close to number one at the time. So, I mean, this is this is really one versus one, one versus two, however you want to look at it. You can't get a bigger matchup. The closest I can think was back in the day, Alabama-LSU, when those two schools were number one back and forth, um, and they played twice in one season. The interesting thing about Georgia-Tennessee is it's very possible that the loser of this game makes the college football playoff and gets a basically a bye week from losing so it's yeah. kind of like the most insignificant significant <laughs> divisional game you'll ever see the loser gets an easier path to a national championship potentially yeah. Potentially. Yeah, potentially yeah they have one less top five you know the potentially the loser has to beat one less one mm-hmm. one fewer top five team than everyone else yeah we saw that with uh 2017 alabama loses to auburn and jordan Hare. And then doesn't make the SEC championship game. Slides into the playoff. I don't know if they were the three or four. Slides into the playoff and ends up winning the national championship game over Georgia, a team that was in the SEC championship. So if, like, let's say Georgia loses to Tennessee, Tennessee beats Alabama again. I think Tennessee and Georgia both make the playoff. I think if Tennessee loses to Georgia, Georgia beats Alabama Tennessee and Georgia both make the playoff. The only scenario where they don't is if Alabama wins that SEC championship. And that's assuming Alabama makes the SEC championship. I guess you could say Alabama or LSU um, because those are the two teams that are truly in contention right now. No, and and Doug, you're alluding to in the beauty of when that first playoff ranking comes out. And suddenly we're now in this world of what if, you know, what if this, then what if that, Yeah. (laughs) And it's it's especially delightful when you're living here in the heart of the South. Yeah. And the conversation takes on kind of crazy, crazy tones of, can we get three SEC teams into the college football playoff? I think the answer is no. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But you get this scenario where you got these top three teams and they've all beaten, you know, 
they've each beaten one and they've each lost to the other. Yeah. It's it, it, this year's this year's the year it feel like it, it feels like it could really happen. And I'll say this every Ohio State fan I know is convinced that that's what's gonna happen and it's due to SEC bias. Um are they so convinced I'll put that Ohio, out there. Ohio State and three SEC teams? Yes. Okay. That's and which I'm like, well, the good thing about that is that would mean Michigan wouldn't be in. And uh, that's, Clemson's eight and zero. Clemson is eight and zero. Um, yeah, Clemson. Clemson's the team that I'm. If I'm Tennessee or Georgia, or, uh, Ohio State or Alabama, that's probably the one I'm least scared of, having watched some of their games. But who knows? Uh, we've had years where Clemson looks like that, and they they turn it on in the playoffs. So uh, undefeated, they. All those teams control their destiny. I'll say this. It's the team I'm least rooting for just because I don't want to try and say the quarterback's name. (laughs) That was how you were with Tua Tungavailoa. You you would always start a sentence. You would say, yeah, the Alabama quarterback, uh, Tua, Uh, the Tua guy. I've been traumatized by anything in my career. It is trying to pronounce students' names as a professor. Well, you know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of. I'm glad that we're back in person rather yeah. than Zoom. So now there's a lot of, dude, sir, <laughs> buddy, pal. You just point at him. Just point uh, at him. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I specialize in the hard names. I like Tua Tungavailoa. I really worked on that one hard. And DJ Uyungle. <laughs> Say that ten times. Okay, so Doug, my favorite thing when you look at these college football, when you look at the the playoff rankings, mm-hmm. is figuring out. Look, I mean, so it is, it's a delight to figure out how many SEC teams can get in there. Yeah. It's also fun to go, okay, you might be ranked up there, but there are some teams that I can't imagine any scenario where they're actually making the college football playoff. TCU. TCU. Okay. Yeah. So really in sync. Yeah. They're, what are they, one spot in front of Alabama right now? Uh, or maybe one spot behind? I don't know. They're right there with Alabama. It's just hard to imagine. Let's say they finish with the same record of, as Alabama. It, it's hard to imagine someone picking a, a Texas Christian over Alabama in the playoff. There's there's a reputation element to these things. It seems. Yeah, and it just you just wonder if it gets interesting. Is being undefeated enough? I mean, you go back a few years to what was it, Central Florida? Yeah. Right, and it's just national champs. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> and you do wonder, it's like, you know, and especially this year, you know, you can almost imagine a scenario where you evolve to the team that no one thinks really has a chance. They kind of squeak in as number four. Mm-hmm. But this SEC being really top heavy and the Big Ten maybe being kind of top heavy. Yeah. Make that really kind of tough of leaving one of those, leaving one of those out. Look, it. To me, another a beautiful outcome for all this, given sort of my speculation that we're moving towards two super conferences, is if somehow you got Michigan and Ohio State versus two SEC teams. Yeah, and, I, yeah outside. people have been sleeping on Michigan. It's like their resume is not that different than Ohio State's, and they're going to play each other. That's the thing that's always funny to me with these rankings. It's like like this week, I'm sure there are Georgia fans out there who are up in arms about. You know, Georgia's got a better win against Oregon than Tennessee has, and Tennessee's just flashier and blah, blah, blah. Like, the teams are going to play each other. It'll work itself out, and if your team's the better team, they're going to end up ranked higher if they're playing that team. So, you know, Michigan fans who are upset that they have more or less the same resume as Ohio State and are ranked significantly below them, your time's coming. You'll you'll have your shot, and uh, Michigan's a team that I feel like you know, we talk about scenarios where one lost Georgia, one lost Tennessee, one lost Alabama, make the college football playoff. Is that is one loss only provided for an SEC school? Because like one loss Ohio State or one loss Michigan, do they are they in the conversation or are they do they just drop to like number twelve? I grew up in Illinois. I went to the University of Illinois, Big Ten country, and last year college football playoff, Georgia played Michigan. Yeah, I think Michigan might have been the higher seeded team. Yep. And what was the margin of victory for Georgia? Maybe I mean, thirty-one. I don't know. <laughs> it was significant. And so I think, you're, I think look, it, 
everyone wants to pretend everything starts out even at the start of the year, but no, I mean, these mm-hmm. reputations matter. And, you know, the, the big 10 is not, the sec has proven itself as, as much as, you know, people nationwide don't want to admit that. Yeah. They have. And, and so, yeah, one loss SEC. Look, I mean, you look at these polls, Alabama, the, the college football, Alabama is seven and one TCU is eight and zero. Oh. What more can D- TCU do, right? Mm-hmm. They cannot get in front of a team even when a team loses. You can't win nine games when you only play eight games. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it seems they would have to do to be number one. Same situation as UCF. So, yeah, you kind of imagine, you know, if Ohio State or Michigan makes the playoff and there's three SEC schools and that team, Ohio State or Michigan, runs through, you know, they they blow out Georgia in the first round and then they go smack. Tennessee or Alabama and the championship. You'd have to imagine next year we get in the same situation and maybe the Big Ten gets two teams. Okay. Uh, but we'll see. It'll play itself out. That's the thing. A lot of times... But it's more, it's more <laughs> like it has to do that for five years in a row, right? Yeah, like, well, that's... In a row to get that credibility. That is... Uh, that's fair. That is quite fair. So Georgia, Tennessee, um, it's going to be crazy the ticket prices are through the roof i don't know what the average price is right now but i know it was 600 dollars or so not too long ago it seems like it's been on its way up that's very too- minor mistake. it's a 330 game right why yeah. not well it's it's uh there's some politics that go into that the C- cbs well, yeah right. tv stuff but um yeah that's kind of a bummer to me i think at, at night it would just would be Maybe the world's not ready for that, for Athens night game between two number one teams. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Georgia fans travel, and I've been to Georgia games in Nayland where Georgia's having their year, and they take over a good chunk of the stadium. And from what I've heard this year, Tennessee fans are traveling at that same level. So, I mean, these are two, I would say right now, because Georgia's kind of coming off, they're at the top or were at the top last year. They're not at that same level of hunger that Tennessee has. Tennessee's like Georgia in 2017. But regardless, it's two very passionate fan bases that travel for games, that spend the money. And it's no surprise to me that this is going to be the highest price ticket in college football this year, um, at least until the national championship. I actually think, based on previous national championships, that this game will be cheaper, uh, partially because that game's on a Monday night and and usually in a different state than either of the teams. Um, so it's... It's going to be, I think, college game day. I mean, it's just going to be a fandom highlight reel on Saturday. And I hope I hope the cameramen are ready to capture some of it. Because when we hosted Tennessee and I was a student, uh, you know, you still had the checkerboarded overall kids in the student section for Tennessee. I mean, they, they travel. They bring their guys. So they bring their people. And Georgia's got that spike squad. They, they've got like two or three different paint lines. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be fun. I know. What's a paint line? Oh yeah, people people ask me. I always say that like it's just common knowledge. It's just a group of uh, students that paint from head to toe to show their okay. passion for their team. Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, it, it, I, I I've said this to you off off mic, but you know, if Illinois wins a national championship, I'm going to ask you for some advice on how to paint up for a class. I will be you your know? makeup artist. I got you, a Mike. Completely orange bald head with a big <laughs> blue eye on it. We should have done a Halloween episode where I painted Georgia and you painted next year. We'll keep that. We'll write that one down. <laughs> like, I got certain advantage on you, right? I mean, the, the, the completely smooth head has got to give me an advantage in some ways. Oh, it but does. Experience. I've got experience, but yeah, you've got the smooth. I see for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what to do with my hair because the character I wanted to paint as was bald. And, uh, yeah, and so I, mean, I, I had to come up with a whole wig for those of you that aren't familiar we're referring to my college days of expressing my enthusiasm for my now alma mater um at sporting events well and and plus if you're not looking at us just i mean to paint the picture i've got a head that looks like a helmet and as i said to doug as we were like getting set up today he looks like a grown-up disney kid so just to give you a second (laughs) our various aesthetics i don't know if that's a compliment or an insult (laughs) in either Um, direction (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> grown up Disney kid. I that's the first time I've gotten that. 
No, I think that's nothing but a po- that's nothing but a positive, Doug. You can add that Great. to your Tinder profile. Yes. Okay. So looking at this college, a very small, small point. The University of Illinois is ranked for the first time in all this. And, and I'll just sort of make a you know a, a quick observation. You know, you said something like uh, that Georgia kind of at the top of the mountain and Tennessee's climbing it. That's an interesting way to look at fandom, right? Because Tennessee's terror. If this game was at Tennessee and oh. Tennessee won, they would pull down the goalposts. Again, the Georgia yeah. fans are not going to pull down the goalposts. No. They, they won't win. be on the field. They won't be on the field. Illinois is seven and one, ranked in the you know for the first time. Going to go to a projected to maybe go to the Rose Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really kind of amazing stuff. Phenomenal. And they're almost filling out the stadium. They're almost filling up the stadium. <laughs> so it's kind of. Uh, you know, you, you kind of see these progressions and, and Alabama fans are, I don't know, they're, they're passionate, they're but they're almost bored, right? They're miserable, Mike. They're miserable. They win by 48, but the spread was 51 and they missed a field goal at some point. They're, that's a miserable bunch. And Georgia's getting there, man. I'm telling you, Georgia's getting there. Tennessee's a few years out, but I like the peak of college football, the pinnacle is where Alabama is right now. And that's where the fan base is miserable. But the pen, the peak as a fan base is where Tennessee's at right now, which is where you still haven't done it yet. But I remember it as a Georgia fan, like not very long ago. It is so fun to feel like this is our year. We're gonna get over the hump. Like this is special. It's like a, watching a movie in real time. Alabama doesn't feel like they're watching a movie in real time. They're on like the 14th season of a TV show that has the same storyline in every season, and they're just it's just a cash cow at this point. Yeah, they're just walking. I mean. <laughs> you know they're, they're literally just walking around college football thinking they're better than everyone else right then yeah. they just win but they're game. mad they're mad that like it's different gu- like i like i'll say this as a georgia guy like as a georgia fan i'm excited for this week's game more so than any other game this year not because i think we're gonna win but because georgia finally is playing someone their own size like they're playing it's like oh we could lose this game this is awesome it's a losable game this is what (laughs) we love this this is what this is what everyone else gets every week um and i think let me ask you this though doc i mean this is sort of a deeper lesson on fandom do you actually and i want you i want you to think this through do you actually enjoy this game or is this just a day full of extraordinary tension right is this just pure stress i think last year prior to winning a championship these games were pure stress like even national championship day i wasn't just partying all day like super bowl sunday you know like oh yeah football i was i was like if we lose to alabama again it's gonna we're never gonna we're never gonna outlive i mean that's gonna haunt us forever and so there was this stress in those games, the Michigan game was like that. The SEC championship was like that. I went to that game and everyone tailgating is just like, better not lose. This could be, you know, this could be traumatic for all of us. Uh, but I think that when you're in a situation like Georgia's in right now, it's a little bit unique where it's like they haven't had a challenge since the national championship game. And I think people are looking forward to it. I think it's just like, oh, finally, a, you know, an entertaining football product for us to consume. And hopefully, you know, you want to win those games. You don't win them all. And I, I like I'm here for it. I'm here to watch. I'm here to watch two great football teams go head to head. I think Tennessee fans, they're also they're, they're at a level. I don't think they're stressed about it either, Mike, because they have this yeah, like we are God's chosen team for this season mindset where they're invincible right now. They're invincible. And you see it when you have a dancing security guard. You're invincible, okay? When you what got that the- guy clog dancing before the Alabama game, they okay. celebrated as if they won the Alabama game before the game started, and then they still won it. Is that what that's called? That I was going to say was two-stepping. I don't know what he was. I, I don't. I- <laughs> and look, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, uh, you know, follow Tennessee football on Instagram because it's it was sort of this very kind of – was that like a mullet kind of guy and he's sort of two-stepping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just you're kind of, you know, Tennessee Mountain Man um, dancing, like I guess how Tennessee Mountain Men dance. And But that that was the thing, that Alabama week, I remember that whole week thinking, man, they are full of it. They are <laughs> acting like they've beaten Alabama. They're almost like prematurely celebrating a game that hasn't even kicked off yet. 
against a team they've lost to 15 times in a row. And they still went out there and won the game. And so I think after that, they're just like, yeah, we're, you know, it's our year. It's our, we're not scared. We're looking forward to beating Georgia and Athens. It's going to be a blast. So I think that's their mindset. I think both fan bases are very positive. Okay, Doug. Now you made a comment that this is the first test for Georgia since the national championship game. Oregon, you know. Well, and I'm looking at these rankings. Oregon is number eight at seven and one. Yeah. So, Oregon agreeing to play Georgia, (laughs) you know, is the is the only thing that eliminated them from being the beast of the Pac-10 and potentially being, you know, ranked something like number four. Yeah, or undefeated Oregon right now, probably number four. Yeah. Uh, playoff bound georgia five. we would be scared we'd be saying oh, i don't know if you know they're high-powered offense if we have an answer for that and uh dan laning's defenses always play sound football so it really is I, i've thought about that scheduling that first game i don't know if it's in their best interest no i i don't know why anyone's and again I, like i'm not an sec homer i don't know why anyone wants to play an sec team in that first game, you know, cause you can also go down the list and what's, where's uh, Utah's number 14, six and two. Right. And, and so you inevitably get into these things of, you know, Florida's one and four in the sec. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that, does that mean that Utah would be a, a two and four team in the sec? Right. But you on know, the flip side, know. if Utah doesn't play Florida that early in the season, seven and one right now, yeah. top 10 football team, in in the hunt for a Pac-12 title, I mean, they they could be you know if they knock off Oregon, they could be the mm-hmm. the playoff team. So, yeah, I but I also think all that goes to show that this whole like twelve team playoff format, it's exciting because more teams can technically be in the hunt. But we've kind of learned that those the bottom of the top twelve, uh, I don't know that they're necessarily competitive with those top couple teams. Okay. Uh, and maybe this is because of. This might be, be purely a Tennessee effect, but <clears throat> looking at this, looking at the rankings right now, it's, it feels like there's six legitimate teams to be a national champion this year, and that's that's like two or three more than most years, I think. And of those six, several will play each other in the regular season in these last couple of weeks. So, I mean, by the end of the season, it'll it'll feel like four, you know, just four teams mm-hmm. that that are really in the hunt. I think sometimes there will be five, like there will be a fifth team. But oftentimes, it's still a team. Like, I remember as a Georgia fan being bummed out that we missed the playoffs. Um, but we had just lost to Alabama in the SEC championship. It's like, that's pretty much a playoff game. And you you get, we had our chance. You know, Georgia had their chance against Alabama and they lost. So it's like someone else should get that shot moving forward. So I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, I, there's rarely more than four teams that are really in the mix. Okay, Doug. These are the winners of college football so far. Hmm. Biggest loser of college football season? Biggest disaster? I know where you're going. Well, is there any doubt? Texas A&M? If Brett Bielema is the coach of the year, which is debatable and he probably won't win it, but I know that's the Fanalytics opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and by Fanalytics, I mean Mike Lewis. Um, Jimbo Fisher okay, let's, okay, let's is... Let's, let's stay with Illinois. <laughs> Just for a second, a little homerism. <laughs> okay. It is the greatest thing. This is the best moment in Illinois football in more than a decade. They're ranked at this point in the season, seven and one. The fan again, think about how the the again, the fan story and all this. We were talking about Tennessee and Georgia in terms of where they're at on the in Alabama. Mm-hmm. The Illinois fans are coming back. Like rank number 16, the fans are coming back to the stadium. So after this long drought you just go seven and one, you get into the top 20 and you can start to pull the folks back in. I mean, that, that, that the enduring nature of these connections to these teams, you know, I mean, you probably can't even imagine it, but if Georgia had a terrible decade, you know, a season of a decade of winning two games, one game, three games, you know, you might, you might shy away. You might not even be watching, but just Illinois is a lesson on how quickly they would get you back. And I think you know yeah. it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, I think Auburn's getting there. They're getting to a point where people are kind of, I mean, de- certainly by the second half of the season, that fan base is, they're clocked out. They're ready for basketball season. Oh, Doug, you but want you the can- worst hot take of all time? Go for it. Okay. 
Tuberville realizes that being a senator means nothing. Goes back to Auburn at $8 million a year. I think you're a more powerful figure in the state of Alabama as the head coach for Auburn University than as a senator. Wouldn't that be the greatest story of all time, though? Um, Little side note, but when... So I'm from Birmingham, for those of you listening that, that aren't familiar with my background, but from Birmingham... When Tuberville was running, there were, you'd go through, and you go through like really nice neighborhoods, and there were signs in the yard that said TNT, Tuberville, and tr- like, I guess, and Trump. Um, so that, that was, was apparent. Was that a positive or a negative? No, it was a positive. Yeah. That, well, that's the thing. Yeah. But that was, a, that was a positive. That was kind of like, I don't know if that was an official slogan, um, but got those two paired together. And apparently that was, a winning formula, but Auburn certainly is looking for a winning formula and they probably missed the, the Tuberville days. Um, so I don't know. I kind of, I personally might, you know, we talk about Tuberville going in to back to football. I'd like to see, since we're having so many football figures go into politics, I'd love to see a po- political figure who has no history of football, go coach some football. Let's just, let's reverse. Let's flip the script here. Let's get like yeah, Raphael Warnock to go, coach the Auburn Tigers or like Marco Rubio to be the coach at UCF or something. Okay. So we're, let's we're flip gonna, the script. Let's just, let's yeah. get weird. Well, and, and let's get back to, you know, let's get back to celebrity cult. We'll, we'll finish up with some celebrity culture issues because there's a lot, there's a lot that kind of feels like red hot rails, but you know, if, if our purview is fandom, there's some stuff we need to talk about, but before we get yeah. there, yeah, yeah. We were both alerting to the fact that maybe the biggest disappointment in all of college football is Texas A&M. Preseason ranked number five. Nowhere to be seen on all this. Does Jimbo Fisher even retain that job? Jimbo Fisher's in a great spot, Mike, because he's getting paid. It's like Brian Harson at Auburn. He's getting paid either way. His buyout's ridiculous. Uh, so he's, he's either going to be doing a poor job and making a lot of money or doing no job and making a lot of money. That's the American dream. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sort of hits and misses. Before the the NFL season, I spent a lot of time developing a quarterback metric and doing a forecast for how the the season was going to play out. Now, I'm not going to sort of go through team by team. I've I've run some numbers. Frankly, Doug, my forecast, ESPNs and NFLs, they're all about the same at this point. That's not what I wanted. you should have no adjusted the Browns, Mike. Should yeah. be ahead. No uh, one's no one's kind of crushing it. It's all kind of in there. But you know, it, it's an interesting thing when you get that deep into the weeds and the data, and then you start to look at what happened. I think you can you can actually teach yourself and you can learn some stuff about about the NFL um, and, and how it works and how you might be getting things right and wrong. Look, I'll, I'll tell you straight out, Doug. I mean, and this is the thing that no one really gets. The, the big problem that everyone uh, in doing these forecasts have is the New York football clubs. Mm-hmm. I think last year, both of those teams won like four games and they're both now really solid clubs. And that's the thing, you know, that's the thing that you really can't, th- there's just no way to forecast that. Well, the forecast that you did, Mike, was quarterback oriented. The Giants have a new coaching regime, which I think a lot of people attribute. I don't know how you predict the success of a new football coach. Like yeah, quarterback coach pair is definitely something. But when it's a new coach, like with quarterback, like Daniel Jones, we had data. We knew. Uh, Brian Dable, the head coach for the New York football giants, no head coaching experience prior. I don't know how you can statistically model – Success, I guess the same way you would with a first-round rookie quarterback where you just assume he's going to lose a little bit more and he's going to get better as he goes. But that's not always the case with coaches, and Dable's a great example of that. Some some coaches, and I've seen, I mean, with the Giants particularly, they've had a lot of coaches to have their best year, year one, and then fizzle out after that. I think uh, Ben McAdoo was an example of that. And so Brian Dable, we'll see if he can continue his success. But I don't know how you predict a first-time head coach yeah, I, mean, so the, I think it's just like, oh, we'll see. Who knows? The quarterback coach pair is, I mean, so there's a there's a bunch of dilemmas. The the progression from a young quarterback to a seasoned quarterback, and it's not that's nothing I was trying to do, but you know, guys like Tua 
or uh, Jalen Hurts. That's another one where there's there's a little bit of a gap in terms of you know what I thought was going to happen and what actually happens. It, it does appear, and again, this is sort of why this is a nice learning exercise, that while quarterbacks are playing earlier and earlier, they also seem to be maturing sort of maybe slower and slower, hmm. which may be a function of most of these guys hitting the league with much less experience than in the past. Yeah. But I, you know, maybe you really do need to let these things play out to the, almost the entire rookie contract before you know what you got. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, Daniel Jones, solid year for him. He might, I mean, he's definitely earned himself some money. He might earn himself a, a roster spot in New York for the foreseeable future. So We'll see. But yeah, I, I don't know, Mike, on those. I think it's anomalies in New York, um, uh, with the exception of Buffalo, of course. Buffalo, we kind of all saw that coming. So NFL, on the flip side, our quarterbacks who we thought were sure bets to just always be winners, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, maybe not having the best years. I think Drew Brees might be sitting out this season watching and saying, yeah, I think I, I think I cashed out at the right time. Yeah, but but even some of those guys, you know, it's it's a little bit interesting when you actually dig into the data and mm-hmm. you actually look at things like, you know, one of the numbers that I always like to look at is the touchdown to interception ratio. Mm-hmm. And Brady and Rodgers are not doing that poorly, right? And look, you know, if you want to add to this, you know, Brady also had a coaching change as well, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, again, it's kind of a little bit of complexity in all this of, you know, you went from who was it, Arians down in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay to, and I forget who, I forget who got bumped up, but Todd but, Bowles. Know, yeah, but these guys are not. Which that doesn't not, get talked about a lot. I don't even think, I don't know yeah, that never, the average NFL fan is aware that Bruce Arians. I mean, that might be it right there in Tampa. That might be the whole issue. Well, and look, there's also the fact that Tom Brady's going through a divorce in the middle of the season. I know, but I'm saying like. That's yeah. getting all the attention and people are attributing everything to that. Whereas like from a football standpoint, I don't know. I think it's probably more likely that a head coaching change is making a significant impact on the outcomes of their season so far, their season's oh, I games. Su- I suspect it's enormous. I mean, you know, when, yeah. I, when I look at the data, head coaching changes, and, and again, the, the devil's always in the details. Head coaching changes tend to, you know, people will refer to this as like a disruption effect. But changing the head coach and the, the, the data, the analyses I'm talking about is much more at the college level. But firing a head coach probably costs you a win the next year. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense, right? New system, things are just different, new, new players, new assistant coaches. Now, in a case like Tampa Bay, where I, I think the, you know, and I think it was Arians was going to stay. And then when Tom Brady came back, then he stepped down. That might be a little bit weird and that there might've been a lot of stability, but, but I suspect. Would, would Arians that, have stayed had Tom not retired? I think that was the plan. I mean, it was a strange, yeah. it was a strange deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not good. That's not what you want. But, but like I said, you know, I mean, like he left, uh, he, he obviously he left camp. I mean, he, now we're doing celebrity gossip here, but you know, he left camp. It's time for, for that like, segment anyway. For like, yeah, he left camp for a while and then came back. And so the, I mean, by the end of the season, you know, my guess is that Tom Brady will figure it out that NFC West is, or NFC South is a fairly weak division. Mm -hmm. You know, are the Atlanta Falcons going to hold off Tom Brady? No, it doesn't seem like we've seen that before. We've seen it. We've (laughs) seen them with a much larger lead uh, on Tom Brady that that they were not able to hold on to. So I have no doubts about that. Other things that I missed, but no one was going to get this stuff right. Geno Smith. Yeah, what in the world? Maybe yeah, I mean, I mean playing great. You know, he his career maybe not as good, but it kind of reminds me of Andy Reid, where Andy Reid for the longest time was kind of like a middling NFL coach in Philadelphia. wasn't winning Super Bowls. had had some really good football teams that didn't win Super Bowls, and I think he kind of had that Mark Richt reputation um, of you know, can't get it done, can't win the big one. And so when he went to Kansas City, I don't know that Chiefs fans were fired, you know, as fired up as when you hire this big up-and-coming offensive coordinator turned head coach for the first time, like the Giants right now. I don't know that the Chiefs had that enthusiasm. They probably felt like we're getting a guy that's he's good but not great. Uh, but we forget, you know, we tend to 
put people in a box, people evolve, people develop. And Andy Mm -hmm. Reid, over the course of his career, learned from his mistakes, adjusted, and became a better head coach. I feel like Geno Smith might be a quarterback who's done the exact same thing. Where I you know, looked, him, I looked him up. I did. Do you realize how little he actually played up until this year? Yeah, not very much. I mean, he had like a couple of years of playing a lot with very, very middling results. Well, also in, in really poor situations. For, yeah, but it, then has been on the shelf for you know four or five years. Yeah, so I mean, it, I think Matt Castle. I don't know if you remember him, Mike, but he was a backup <laughs> his whole One college. Of the New yeah, went in, went in behind Brady and then ended up being really good. And uh, the college situation would be the Florida quarter, Kyle Trask at Florida, who didn't start in high school and didn't start in college for a few years. And then he got out there and turned out to be a Heisman candidate quarterback. I think if there were a Heisman in the NFL, Geno Smith might be a candidate right now. And pretty remarkable considering going into the season, if we had to rank quarterback rooms, I think most people would have Seattle dead last. The, probably dead last, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, maybe, you know, the, the Houston Texans might have been made, might have been there. And despite the lofty draft picks, maybe the Carolina Panthers, but I think that's probably about, that's probably about right. Yeah. Okay. So I looked it up. So Aaron Rodgers, despite, you know, the Packers' struggles, Rodgers is ranked fifth in the league in touchdown passes, and his touchdown to interception ratio is, 13 to four. That's a very solid season. Yeah. Efficient. Uh, Few mistakes. Not a, not a, you know, I think on, if you put, if you looked at yards, he might not be as high. And I think part of it is like his, there's not a lot of continuity in green Bay. Like they've, his supporting cast is almost entirely new faces and guys you've never heard of before. He's 12th in yards, by the way. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's kind of middle of the pack, but touch, he's always been efficient. And so touchdown to interception is no surprise to me, but it's not like he's fallen off in that, in his efficiency. I just think the volume of production and in terms of yards and moving the football has fallen. And again, you know, these conversations about quarterback metrics, I love it. It's always, it's always this challenge between having to like keep six numbers in your head versus just your favorite number because I'll, right. I'll tell you this you know who's number six in the league in um in yards thrown matt ryan what had an you know a an, an amazing kind of end or you know development to his career at this point yeah that's pretty i guess his touchdown to interception probably wasn't as as nice nine to nine yeah, that's that's a big deal. Yeah. So um, um, this this was another one, and if anything, I got this one a little bit right. I did not fall for the Indianapolis Matt Ryan or the Denver Bronco um, Russell Wilson Russell Wilson hype. Yeah i I expected a lot more from Russ than uh, in Denver. That one's that one. I surprised a lot of people. So. I think your uh, your analysis probably outsmarted conventional wisdom on when it comes to those aging veterans on the move. Uh, and you know, and and since I've as I as I've shifted to yards as our metric, and again, I I don't want to geek out too much. So you you tell me when this is just getting too much numbers. You know, number one in terms of yards, Joe Burrow, right? Yeah, really interesting player. Um, number. Where is he? I saw that number 19 in terms of yards thrown Lamar Jackson. Right. Right. And so it is this complexity of you can't judge these, you know, you got to judge these guys in a, in a kind of a, you got to figure out a way to put all this stuff together. Yeah. And Lamar, of course he, he gets a lot of yards on the ground as well, but he started, he started the season red hot passing. He was, he was one of the league leaders in passing a couple weeks into the season, but clearly kind of regressed to the, to the median a little bit or mean so i mean doug you know from your perspective what's kind of surprised and maybe we've hit a lot of it what's what surprised you about the quarterbacks or the teams in the nfl this year i think to me it's just the with the exception of josh allen and i guess patrick mahomes 
the dominant teams haven't, you know, it's not Brady and Rodgers and these guys that we've come to just assume that wherever they are is going to be the dominant teams. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, Jalen Hurts, a guy, and and this is where not to not to disagree with your premise on the NFL, but this is where I personally feel like the other parts of football play a huge factor in the success of a quarterback. So if you look in Philadelphia, their offensive line is phenomenal. Jalen Hurts is doing really, really well. And I always wonder how would Trevor Lawrence look in that situation? How would Joe Burrow? How would Mac Jones? How would some of these other young, how would Tua look? How would some of these other young quarterbacks, would we be thinking of them as like, would they be a top five quarterback in our minds? Would Tom Brady be lighting it up in Philadelphia right now? Um, or Aaron Rodgers? And so, yeah, you know, this is this is kind of an interesting point. I just want to highlight something is what yeah. you're saying. It's like the uh, the illusion. I mean, I'm going to call this like the illusion of wins. Yeah. Right. You know, so if you put, you know, eight wins on a quarterback versus having four wins on the quarterback with the same kind of performance. And I know that's a little bit that gets a little bit fuzzy because with the same performance, the same amount of wins. But you know, like Daniel Jones is not lighting the world on fire statistically, but the team no, is sick. Very, too. very mediocre statistically. Statistically, he's probably below Rodgers or Brady, but God, it looks like, you know, it looks like he's doing something, right? This, it, it's almost like there's a, another bias in all this of the over attribution of wins. Exactly. Back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Daniel Jones is a perfect example. He's a guy, by the way, that I've I've defended over the years. And I've, I, I still feel like I want to see him with a good group of receivers and a little bit more time in the pocket to make an evaluation on him. He's never had great situations. But when he would have the same exact stat lines a year ago, the perception was that he's not the guy. He's never going to be the guy. He's not a winner. Now he'll go out. He'll throw for 175 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, you know, and complete 60% of his passes. Same stat line as a year ago in the same game. The Giants, instead of losing by a field goal, they win by a field goal. The perception is that Daniel Jones has turned the corner. Mm-hmm. The Giants need to double down on him, make him their guy. I mean, the reality is his performance hasn't changed that much. But now they have to pay him $120 million. Yeah, instead of what twenty million or something. So yeah. it's, it's. I mean, that's how it is with quarterbacks in the NFL, and that's why. I mean, I think the Tom Brady doubters have always said, like, well, he's there's this over attribution of championships where you know where he's he's getting all the credit for playing on these amazing teams. Um, and I know, like, I know people that will say that in college football about guys like Stetson Bennett, where it's like, oh, he's actually an average or below average SEC quarterback. He just played with a really good defense. People, I remember people saying that about Eli Manning and Joe Flacco. Like, that's kind of an age old debate. Is the quarterback actually great or do they just play on a really good team and they're good enough to not lose the game? Um, and so, I mean, I think clearly Tom Brady's a guy that's more than that <laughs> he's more than someone that's just good enough to not, not lose a game but like Peyton Manning when he played for the Denver Broncos I kind of felt like Tim Tebow would have won a championship on that team had they kept him a quarterback Brady just kind of his role was to not lose the game because those defenses were so good so um anyway yeah the seeing a guy like Hertz and, and a team like the Eagles be the NFC standard uh, instead of an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady that just defies my expectations just based on watching football over the years. And it just seems like it's always one of those guys. And rarely is it someone who wasn't perceived to be even a top 10 quarterback going into the season. Okay. Now I'm going to go totally into the weeds, but this is one that fascinates me. And, and you've actually referenced a little bit of this sort of indirectly in the, as we've talked today. The New England Patriots, okay? Mac Jones statistically was the best-performing quarterback of his rookie class, even though he was the least hyped of the, of the mm-hmm. top guys. Jones has struggled this year. Mm-hmm. But New England plugs in this guy, Bailey Zappi, from Western Kentucky, and he doesn't look bad. He looks pretty good. And, yeah. and so, again, I think a couple of things. Like, you know, how much does – you know, having that really smart coach and that really smart system, you know, what is that actually worth to these, to these quarterbacks? Because in some ways you think it, you think it through and being drafted by 
a Belichick might be worth, you know, many, many, you know, you think about all these guys, Baker Mayfield, uh, Marcus Mariota, you know, all these kind of NFC South guys, uh, Sam Darnold, right? Yeah. How different things might have been with a different, with a different scenario. Yeah. And, and, and I've always, I mean, I've looked that last year when everyone was hyped up about Mac Jones, I was saying, you know, what if Fields were in that situation? What if, or what if Daniel Jones were in that situation? Would we be talking about him? Like he's, you know, the, the next great quarterback in the NFL. Um, another twist to the whole Mac Jones zappy conversation is I've seen this a lot in college sports where when a new quarterback comes in, sometimes they have more success early on and eventually it's like teams figure them out. I think part of it is because they have tendencies and part of like is particularly in the NFL a huge part of playing defense is just film and understanding those tendencies and how to anticipate what someone's going to do. So when a guy like Zappy comes in and there's no, I mean, it reminds me of you know, Tua coming in against Georgia in the national championship game. And, and it was like, Georgia had Jalen hurts all figured out also an NFL starting quarterback, but Tua tongue of Iloa comes in and his tendencies were completely different. He would roll left instead of right. He would, you know, he'd be looking for the long ball instead of the check down. And he like, sometimes in the second season, those same two teams played and Tua couldn't do anything because Georgia had film on him and they understood his tendency. So sometimes with a guy like Zappi or even Mac Jones a year ago, you wonder, you know, these guys prove that they can have success early. How are they going to do once defenses have enough film on them to understand their tendencies and adjust for that? And I think that's something that maybe Mac Jones, it's like, you know, when these quarterbacks have these second year slumps, I think that's part of the issue. And I think with Zappi, it's something that we've yet to see. But if he gets significant playing time moving forward it'll be something to keep an eye on it does appear that bill belichick knows how to put new quarterbacks in there in a way that confuses the rest of the league though matt castle a guy yeah. that lit it up then gets a big contract of the chiefs and he's not very good um yeah. belichick's he's got he has a way of doing that and of course tom brady coming off of uh drew bledsoe replacing drew bledsoe yeah. <laughs> yeah he was he was a little bit more successful than matt castle or uh mac jones so far but we'll see uh, okay doug so and we talked a little bit about tom brady i think you know tom brady's the closest thing to tom brady as transcends the nfl and gets into popular culture with giselle and his yeah you know, tiktok hey, I, his- I saw a kid at a away game this is a good fandom story a little kid you know probably seven years old had a sign and he was on the front row of the stadium. Brady's on the road playing an away game. Little kid has a sign and there's a picture of, I mean, Brady's walking right by. He sees the sign and the sign says, Hey Tom, uh, tell Giselle I'm single too. <laughs> yeah. It's little seven year old boy. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, <laughs> beautiful stuff. And you know, I, I yeah. Tom react. I don't know that he did, uh, but it was just a beautiful photo. It was just okay. like, man, that's that's fandom right there. It's like the Eli Manning telling the story of the four-year-old Philadelphia Eagles little girl flicking him off <laughs> as he entered the stadium. Uh, it's, it's great. It comes, it flows from the family. It, it and that's it's in their blood. You know, and that's where I think why we love this stuff is. You know, when it, when this stuff transcends just being about the competition to being about the culture, right? I mean, right. like you, you mentioned Eli Manning. I, You know, for some reason, it still regularly crosses my, you know, Twitter feed. You know, somehow it'll be like that thing where uh, Peyton was playing uh, football with the kids in the park on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, being in the kid and making him sit in the porta potty. And it's like, yeah, that's the beauty of all this. And so... As little as I think either of us wants to at this point, this is a big week and this is strange times in popular culture and a lot of interesting stuff going on that's eventually going to impact or is, you know, pretty closely related to, uh, you know, related to the world of sports. You know, the big one has, of course, got to be Elon and because I think it's a wild card at this point. Elon Musk now owns Twitter. For yep. some reason, he walked in with a sink. Right. He's he, he walked in, you know, suddenly sort of telling dad jokes about, you know, for, for no real reason. I don't know what's going to happen with that. You know, are people going to get back on? But, you know, are the arguments just going to heat back up again? Because at the same time when we've got, 
you know, Elon taking over the free, essentially the social media platform where we argue with each other. Mm-hmm. We've also got, you know, the Kyrie Irving story. We've got Kanye, his continuing fallout. Right. So everything ends up being related. Now, I'm going to ask you a question purely based on youth, Doug. Kanye and Adidas, mm. how culturally significant was that partnership? Because it seems enormous to me as someone that teaches students that are concerned about sneakers and sneaker culture. I know a lot of people that think that Kanye made Adidas like the street brand, like the street wear, the elite, you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of like the premium street brand uh, when it comes to sneakers and clothes, you name it. So I, I have a buddy that I went to a Halloween party this weekend and he was canceled Kanye. So he had on the Valencia hat and the, I don't know, he had $200 shades and whatever. He had the whole fit on and he had a canceled thing. And then he had a box that said it was a Yeezy Boost 350, which is one of the shoes that he would sell for Adidas. Um, then on the Adidas logo over it, it was scratched out and it said Skechers question mark. Um, and, and I know some price point is on those kind of things. Well, now they're dropping, uh, and he this this particular friend had about ten pairs of Yeezys, so he was not. I mean, are, are we about, talking about we're talking about the kind of shoes that are in the? You can't wear those anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, especially in the secondary market. Um, so yeah, it's it's a big. I mean, I feel like the whole Yeezy thing with Adidas, and and now there's Yeezy or there was Yeezy Gap, where Gap was kind of starting a little bit of a streetwear clothing. Every other clothing brand uh, seemed like it was just trying to cop that, like trying to have that same appeal. But it was the status brand, mm. Yeezy, Adidas. Um, I, those collabs and, were huge. And was that as, I mean, look, probably, and again, I'm an outsider and I don't know how much of an insider you you are you are on all this stuff. It struck me as a, someone watching from the outside, as I said, that, Kanye and Adidas was sort of the number two partnership in that industry beyond Jordan and Nike. It's hard to think of another one um, bigger, to be honest. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's an accurate assessment. And I think that, like I said, the guy I know that's got a bunch of Yeezys, he was like, I can't wear these now. You know, people think are going to think I'm, anti-semitic or supporting anti-semitism and so you get these thousand dollar sneakers and now can't wear them um so that's like so it's that instantaneous in sort of the the world the gen z world you live in is like right he has been canceled and it's not just canceled superficially on these platforms he's canceled to to the people on the street yeah like you wear the you, you buy a you know two weeks ago you buy a two hundred fifty dollar shirt and it's a just plain shirt and it just has like a little tiny logo on it it costs two hundred fifty bucks it's just a status symbol you know it's like wearing a rolex or something um can't wear that you know or or people people are gonna make judgments or at least there's that fear that people make judgments so I think uh and then of course seeing seeing how the the news has run with it with like I know in Los Angeles there were some anti-Semitic signs that went up. And then in Jacksonville, Florida, there were, and for that, like Georgia, Florida was this last weekend, both schools issued statements. I mean, it is just overlapped. The whole Kanye things overlapped into academics and to politics and different States, different cities. Um, So it's one of those things where of course with sports, we've seen the kneeling we've seen, we've seen all kinds of, how things can overlap with sports. And so it's just a matter of time. But I mean, if nothing else, yeah, you're going to see less guys. I, I've seen, um, let's see, there's Donda Sports Academy. A lot of the top high school basketball players were were in the program that, that Kanye West um, and his mother's organization started and, and their season is canceled, their basketball season. Some of the top prospects in the country, uh, high school, they're not playing now because of what Kanye said. Um and then I don't know if he has an agency or some kind of uh, some kind of deals with professional athletes, but I believe I saw something about um, you know professional athletes cutting their ties with his businesses. Well, and, and Doug, we don't need to get too deep into it because, like you know, the the politics is just 
uh, you know, there, there's nothing but there's nothing but trouble there, and sort of yeah, and to tiptoe around and be delicate. But it's you know, I, I did want to understand just how big that was culturally, yeah. and it sounds like that was enormous. And so it's kind of a uh, you know to abstract away from all of this. It is interesting and fascinating how with how much money is on the table and how powerful that is as a cultural brand, how quickly that can all be taken down. It's, you know, remarkable, just remarkable times. Well, it would be interesting Uh, to see what Adidas does because I think that's been probably the most valuable. But let me ask you this. Can they do anything? Have they in some ways betrayed that audience, right, In, in terms of like, is that audience happy with Adidas? I think the audience is like they had to do it. I think like from people I've spoken with, they see they probably would have been they probably would have stopped doing business with Adidas had they kept that partnership. So um, I feel like I'm not I'm not putting any judgments out there. I'm just assessing what I've seen. And I I feel like that that their Adidas is probably in in a little bit of a bind here and that there's nothing they can do. You know, they can't recapture that they could go out and do a partnership with anyone and it's just going to feel like it's a partnership to substitute for this thing that blew up i think uh what was it did they were they run dmc back in the 90s um i think that was adidas's <laughs> kind of first oh, big noteworthy partnership and uh, sometimes i love you i i i think that's right the i think they were out there in those the adidas tracks yeah and yep. All yes yeah so they've got that hip-hop history between that and kanye west and uh so moving forward you know, I would say I would expect Kanye to do his own thing because I don't think any of these major brands are going to partner with him um, at this point. And and by the way, there's there's a whole another layer to that whole um, topic, which is mental health and and our culture's ongoing discussion about that. And that certainly plays a factor, I think, in in all of this. But I don't think that these brands want to risk the being canceled, you know, and being associated with someone who's canceled. And so. Uh, someone like Adidas, it's like you got to go for. I feel like like Under Armour, Steph Curry, that's probably as good as it gets. Um, someone just squeaky clean that yeah. you know that you have very little doubts about their character, or how they're going to handle uh, their time in front of cameras and in the press. But I don't, I don't know where Adidas goes next. They, they certainly have. I know Damian Lillard's a big partner of theirs um, as far as professional athletes. But they, they're going to have to, uh, it, you know, I feel like that hip hop side and that streetwear side, they got to keep, that's a huge part of their business at this point. And I'm sure they're, they're scrambling to figure out what to do. Well, and it's, you know, these are, you know, Nike and Adidas are sports brands that have, you know, are sort of also fashion brands, but popular culture brands. Yeah. And so they're, they're well into the realm of fandom. So something like this is, you know, tremendously interesting to see where it goes from here. Okay, Doug, the other thing, and we'll, we'll sort of real quick on two of these. Jake Paul fought Anderson Silva, defeated him, I think, in something like the eighth round. Reports are that I, I haven't seen pay-per-view numbers yet. Silva was making about a half million, Paul 1.5 million, and then different percentages of the pay-per-views. I think it's played out. What do you think? Yeah, I, I certainly would say the buzz has died off with that whole sub industry of boxing of the Paul brothers have destroyed the novelty they created and then destroyed the novelty boxing industry within 18 months. Yeah, I think so. I think that, uh, I just think that it's a one trick pony, you know, it's the magic kind of runs out once, once it's happened once or twice or three or four times now. So (laughs) I think that's that, um, Okay. I, I'm Last more interested one. in like I, I know there was a Le'Veon Bell versus Adrian Peterson. I like I kind of like seeing yeah, athletes that have that have beef with each other. Just put them in the ring. Okay. Last one. We're running a little long here today. Sorry. We are in the po- we're in the political season, and something that we got going on. And so you know, politics, sports, culture. To me, it's all kind of coming together. We do have some celebrity candidates. Right. We've got Dr. Oz. We've got Herschel Walker. We've got, you know, a former newswoman in Cary Lake in Arizona adding to the already established roster of, let's say, the AOCs and the MTGs, the Marjorie Taylor Greens. Right. What do you think about celebrity candidates? And 
I my friends and I will joke that twenty years from now it's going to be some former TikTok star running the country. You know, it seems like it seems like, and I don't know how. I I know that I mean obviously there's a history in America of some some non politicians or non career politicians um, seeking office and and taking office. Yeah, but it seems as though in our culture where it's uh you know celebrities and quote-unquote influencers tend to be the most important voices by a mile they have an extreme leg up and it's like if i were to run for president and jake paul were to run for president i think we all know uh, you know who regardless of policy or or whatever intellect or whatnot um you know the the people with the biggest names And, and i think trump also i think the the Trump era, and, and one of the things I kind of noted early in that was like, if he wins this, we're you know everybody's going to feel empowered that they they can go seek that. It seems like you know, of course, Kanye has joked around about running for president. I don't know how that would work out for him now, um, but it, I mean, I remember saying I could see Kim Kardashian running for president. I could see. So it seems like it's been moving in that direction for some time. And of course, they, you know, take that for what it's worth and do with it what you will. But I, I don't see a reversal coming. It seems as though influencer culture if nothing else and social media is going to drive that even more well and i'll just make a quick observation on it. it it strikes me as something where there's positives and there's and again this is strictly from a marketing perspective yeah. there's almost marketing positives and marketing negatives you know you come in with the, the name recognition of a dr oz or a herschel walker but you're also kind of fighting this preconceived notion that you're this celebrity tv doctor or right. you're this you know the kind of this you know, this just sort of dumb jock, former football player. But it does make this stuff really kind of entertaining. To It, it makes this stuff entertaining. And it makes this stuff kind of interesting in the world. Again, from my perspective, when you look at kind of the level of polish of some of these people, you know, like AOC will get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. But I think the reality is she's kind of a, you know, as you were talking about these kind of stars, it does almost appear that maybe we're moving towards something where you have, you know, maybe Ronald Reagan was a celebrity that became a president or even Mm -hmm. Donald Trump was a celebrity that became a president. Now I almost get the sense we're moving towards, I'm becoming a politician to build my celebrity brand, which I think is kind of a, a little bit of a, fascinating way that you might see this kind of you might see this evolve going forward yeah we will see but uh certainly interesting times in this country (laughs) and uh it it seems as though that's the way that things are going to be for the foreseeable future so okay (laughs) you know you you guys can all tell it's like look i I think this popular culture is incredibly stuff is incredibly important you know what's going to happen with musk in terms of i was going to call it tiktok but but twitter incredibly important but god man this stuff is so and, and probably the the best point to make about all this is just how careful suddenly you have to be when you start to talk about this stuff. I think like this Mike just brings this stuff up. Everything. I think yeah. Mike just brings the stuff up to watch me try to dance around it without committing yeah, to yeah. any kind of and view just, and then says, yep, that's what we have to do now. And I actually kind of feel bad about that in a way, right? Because I <laughs> like what's happening, at, whatever Elon Musk does at Twitter is incredibly important for the world of fandom. But God, you got to watch your step on every, you know, every inch, you know, everything you talk about. And so it's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to be us, Doug. Okay, guys, as always, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. We went the entire time without talking about the World Series. I think that says everything that needs to be said about the World Series of this day and age. But Phillies are up 2-1. And last week's podcast episode did a deep dive into it. Thanks, everybody. Talk next week.